welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Tonight, uh, we're going to try and, and uh, pull some of the strands that we've been working on over the last two or three weeks, two, two weeks together. So, uh, tonight will be the last night. Uh, we'll give opportunity again. Uh, I've still I've, uh, realized I, uh, some of the balance is going to be off, so we're going to move quickly through some stuff tonight, but that'll be fine. Anybody that wants to push into anything more detailed, feel free to ask. What I've been trying to do in the last two weeks is um, a couple of things. Uh, uh, one is to kind of, I don't know, demystify, I suppose, the hearing of the voice of the Lord and suggest that all of us have capacity to hear the voice of the Lord, to hear the, the word of the Lord, right? And that in fact, most of us, and I would probably argue all of us, um, do hear God's voice, uh, whether we recognize it or not uh, as such is a whole other, whole other question. So uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've just been trying to frame the environmental conditions under which uh, we can receive specific words from the Lord uh, as it applies to guidance or prayer for people or some of the things, which is where we'll head tonight. And the reason I wanted to do that is because over the years in walking with people, like I said, first week out, uh, often people want to hear the word of the Lord or hear the voice of the Lord in specific circumstances but they have no intention of following the way of the Lord any other time. So it becomes kind of a Christian superstition, kind of a, a spiritual, uh, you know, a Christian tarot card reading, if you will, where, where if I just hear, the, hear what God wants me to do, then I'll do that and everything will be fine. And God doesn't do that. He, he, he is training us, like we've said before, to be a certain kind of people, a certain kind of person. Uh, so the context within which we hear his voice is within that context. Uh, he wants us to partner with him in saving the world. He wants us to become people that he can trust. He wants us to be his image. He wants us to be like Christ. So the hearing of his voice in particular circumstances comes in the flow of the hearing of his voice in general. So last week we kind of snapshotted the work of the Holy Spirit in this and how essential the Holy Spirit is and the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to individuals both inside and outside the church. Uh, he, he has capacity to address, um, uh, address uh, individuals, whether Christian or not, uh, this uh, the er first week I suggested that the the world itself is held together by the word of God. You cannot exist and not ha have heard in some way the word of God. You 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 exist as a result of His word, not having been spoken once, but being spoken. The theological way that we have to think about this is that you are still God's voice emanating in the universe from the moment of first creation. I need you to sit with that uh, because that then becomes the context within which 
we hear or don't hear God's voice in specific circumstances, right? The, the Holy Spirit, uh, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, at, at, uh, I can't remember where now, uh, but he was saying, you know, where in the Bible does it say that impressions or um, uh, uh, that, that inner conviction or whatever, that that is equivalent to God's voice? And I said, well, the problem is the scripture is so, the people in the Bible are so familiar with God's voice, they just shorthand all of the ways that he speaks and the word of the Lord came to or something like that. But it never tells us how the word of the Lord came to those people. So we, we assume maybe that it was a voice from the external environment and they heard it with, no, that's rare. And in fact, when it occurs, like we've said before, it's notable, it's written down that a voice came from the heavens. Other people heard it. Some people heard it in some cases like thunder. Only those who had ears to hear what was really going on heard it with meaning. So, so what we're talking about is not spooky. It's not hyper charismatic or super spiritual. The fact is God loves us and like a good father wishes to communicate with us. So how does he do that? Last week we talked about the work of the Spirit in, in, in helping us to know and discern what is true. We talked about the work of the Spirit in convicting us uh, uh, of, of, of places where we're out of, out of whack, convicting people in the world uh, who are not yet Christians or disciples of Jesus uh, about sin and judgment and so on and so forth. Uh, then I suggested that there are uh, a, a couple of other things that we ought to tend to, the world of creation, God's voice, etc. So this is where we were last week. The general flow of the word of Christ, the word of Jesus, ought to be a regular um, diet, if you will. For those who remember, part of the reason we don't recognize God's voice is because we're not familiar enough with it to recognize it. So how do we get familiar with his voice? We listen to it. We listen to Jesus' words, for example, when he says, my sheep know my voice. How do his sheep learn his voice? And you know the mechanism. We've talked about this. When a little lamb is born, a sheep, wraps it, a, a sheep is wrapped around the shepherd's shoulder, and he carries it all day and speaks into its ear all day. And within a fairly short period of time, that little lamb is imprinted with the voice of his shepherd. That's the image that we're getting here, that, that we, we want to be so familiar with the words of Jesus and the word of God generally that there's a resonance with, with, uh, with us and in us. Does that make sense? So that's what we're looking at. So that's the context. Then um, specific things, words of prophecies, uh, charismatic gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, community. This is all last week. So that's where we were, right? Now I want to turn the corner and talk about um, specific guidance and so on. So you see the description there of what we're doing. It's important for us to remember that the goal of our being, Genesis 1:26, is that we be the image of God, right? Um, as we move through the Old and New Testament, that language, even though the content stays the same, the words shift. So image of God becomes the people of God. People of God becomes the church. 
And the church is the body of Christ, right? And for Paul, that language, body of Christ, is not a metaphor. It's reality. The body of Christ, the people of the church, those who have been been brought to life in Christ, are literally, for Paul, not metaphorically, literally the body of Christ. They live out, they work out, they do in the world what Christ would do if he were still in the world, right? Empowered by the same spirit that empowered Jesus. So, so Paul will use language that is just ridiculous unless, you get, unless we get that. So he'll talk about, we have, he says in, in, in one place, we have the mind of Christ. Sit with that for a minute. That's not future. That's now. We have the mind of Christ. Now he will write in Colossians, your life right now is hidden with God in Christ. So that in Christ life is the fundamental way that God wants us to learn how to live and work and move and so on. So the in Christ life that we have now and that we are called to live in increasingly is the environment within which we can hear God's direction specifically. Of course, he will, will speak to us. We are held in, together by his word. We are his word in some sense. Does that make sense? Any questions? That's kind of foundational to what, 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 what I want to do tonight. Okay, so um, as we grow in familiarity. So that's that remembering the goal of our being peace. That's, that's what I just tried to, tried to do then. So hearing God's voice is a fundamental part of who we are. Uh, it would be strange if we didn't, right? We're, it's, it's, it's the norm that we are tuned into this. Now, the how, the, how the hearing occurs is going to be the, the interesting thing, specifically when it comes down to specific direction. Um, and there is a continuum of communication that we talk about. The first one is this communication where God speaks to us. Uh, and this can come in a variety of forms, like we talked about last time. It can be like sermons. It can be uh, through the voices and words of friends. We'll talk about a number of these. But communication has as its goal the building of communion. Do you feel the difference? This is not just God speaking to us. This is now God speaking with us. You feel the difference uh, in, a, in a conversation of a, with, with somebody, uh, whether they're speaking to you or with you, right? Uh, one of the fundamental differences is that in the with God conversation, it's a conversation. It's strange for us to think this way, but God listens better than we do. Right? Prayer is intended to be dialogue. It's intended to be this conversational commun uh, communion of, of, of God with, with, with us. So as we lean into that, then the next one, and this is the... This is the place that, I, I, that we move people towards is in terms of soul care, ideally, is, is, is called union. Uh, so communication, communion. Now, union is inst 
communication, God speaks to us. Communion, God speaks with us. Union, God speaks in us. So his voice is not independent of us. And this is where that still small voice image from uh, 1 Kings 19 comes in. Remember the sound of the thin? We talked about it a couple weeks ago uh, on Sunday. Um, a week ago on Sunday. Um, this still small voice then ought to become increasingly as we mature the, 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 the regular way that the people of God who have been, are being brought into union with him uh, recognize, hear, and respond to his voice. Okay? So it won't come from outside. It won't come from a sermon. It'll come from inside. You may not always be able to distinguish it in tone from your own voice, from your own thoughts. But you will, as you train your ear, train your heart to hear, recognize, oh, this isn't something I would have thought of. This isn't something I would have said to myself. Right? Now, that's not by itself enough, but that's the, that's the, the, the lean in that we're looking towards. Okay? So that's where we're going. Ways of specific hearing. So this gets to the, some of the questions that were raised uh, last week. Uh, um, and again... I've had these listed in order of their value. That is to say, God does not wish to commune if he can enjoy union. He will communicate only with those who want him to remain at distance. Right? He will share communion with those with whom he will sit down at table, sit down. But he wants to move towards union with his people so that we are in him and he is in us. That's why he sends us his spirit. That's why he fills us up with his spirit. We are intended to live the with Christ, in Christ life. So that's what we're after. Okay? So specific ways in order of their value. Generally, dreams and visions track together. Um, both of them uh, are, they tend to be a communicational piece uh, 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 from the outside, although obviously dreams and visions are internal, but you know what I'm, what I'm after there. Um, they they um, seem frequently, dreams particularly, uh, often require interpretation. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, we need somebody to help us know. You re- think about this all the way through Scripture. Uh, especially in the Old Testament, we needed somebody who was a seer, like a Joseph to Pharaoh, right? Uh, somebody to help us understand what the dream meant. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, we, we have a little bit more clarity on this because, uh, like, for example, Joseph's dream uh, had specific direction that he recognized and began to act on. Nonetheless, Dreams often are in symbols. They often have um, uh, uh, fairly common patterns uh, if they're God's way of communicating with somebody. So when I'm doing spiritual direction, for example, it probably turns up there more than it does in soul care. But if I'm walking with somebody in a spiritual direction relationship... And, and they start off with, as we, we try and build up enough conversation that over time I'll start to push into any dreams that have been coming up or things that have been showing up. So we'll often start off, I had the re- weirdest dream a couple of nights ago. 
all right, well, let's talk about that. And they'll proceed to unpack this. And then usually I'll say something like, now, is this similar to other dreams that you might have had in the last two or three or four weeks? Because dreams tend to come repetitively. They tend to be um, a, a re reinforcement, uh, which is one of, the, one of the ways, by the way, is you're learning into God's voice. Pay attention to the repetition. If something keeps coming up, uh, specifically when you're not thinking about it, it just kind of shows up, uh, dreams being one of those. Obviously, we're not thinking about them. Um, then we, okay, what, what might be going on here? Uh, but often, like I said, dreams require a little bit of um, uh, some interpretation, some help to, to get some clarity on it. Um, the closer dreams move to communion, the less interpretation is required. So at the communication level, dreams often require a level of interpretation, right? As they move to communion, then the interpretation becomes clearer as you tune your ear, tune your heart to the ways that God is speaking to you. Um, and so their interpretation uh, often becomes even more directive. So this is like with Joseph, for example. He knew what he had to do as a result of the dream that he had had. Yeah? Are all dreams No. No. A lot of dreams... So, so this is one of the, one of the things. One of, is it unusual? Is it repetitive? Uh, usually dreams, like, for example, if I have some... Like, for example, I can never remember any of my dreams. Right? So when I do have a dream that I remember, I want to start to pay attention to that. Uh, on the other hand, if somebody, like my wife, remembers all her dreams. So if one of them or has, has similar patterns in it, that's the one that we want to start to, okay, what, what else is going on here? Remember, rarely is it in isolation of other things. So it, 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 it but that, that would be the, the key. Most dreams are just your brain trying to file things away and remember stuff. Yep. Yeah. Do we dream every night? Yep. We really do, because I, I so rarely remember. Yeah. No. And 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 you're not supposed to. If the brain is doing its job properly, you don't generally remember them. Is there, is there a way, like, to try? And no. <laughs> and and why am I doing this? If it's a dream that's a communication from God, you will remember it. Right? Because he is not shy. He is very capable of getting through to you. Right? So if it's one of those ones that you remember, okay. And then if you <coughs> recognize it as repeating, maybe over the course of a month or a couple of nights or whatever, then you want to, all right, what might this be about? So you believe God still does use dreams to yes. today yeah. to, to speak to us? Oh, yeah. God hasn't forgotten a single language that he's ever learned. That was a joke. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving toward a deeper relationship with Christ, we that union stage. But that doesn't happen like in chronicle, logical years of knowing. No. It happens through obedience to his word? 
It, well, everything that we've been talking about for the last two weeks is calculated to move us towards that union life. So do you have a devotional rhythm that is sustains and sustainable over time? Is thanksgiving the normal language of your soul, right? Have you um, a regular worship life? This is not just about Sunday morning, but it's the orientation of life with gratitude towards God, right? So it's all of this pattern of being filled with the Spirit throughout the course of every day, a conversational relationship. That's what we're after, right? And then obviously when you become aware of what God wants you to do in His Word, right? Because there are a whole boatload of things. Like I said, when we have the 10 words, we know what the parameters of the court are. When we have the two words of Jesus, we know what the, the primary way of playing the game is. We don't get to not love and then ask for God's guidance. Do, do you see how this works? If I'm not forgiving... I can't hear words of forgiveness. This is why Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you haven't been forgiven. You, the, the orient, do you see what I mean? So, so we want God's guidance, but we're, we're, we're uh, doing things that, no, we're not even on the, the right court here. You're playing a different game. You want the coach to call in an audible, and, and you're not even on the court. What, what's that about? Did I make that right? Is, is, does that make sense? See, I, whenever I use sports stuff, I, I need to check with people who know what they're talking about because <laughs> I, I rarely get them right. But, but you, you see what I mean? If you're, if you're, not, if you're not framed by, the, by love, and again, this is all learning. It's all growing. It's all developmental. It's all, you know, we start as children and we, and we keep growing up, but... but as we tune our hearts to the, to the rules of the game that we know, then we have capacity, right? Um, but even so, complete, utter, declared enemies of God, he can still get through to, sometimes by dreams. They won't know what they mean, so they'll need a Daniel or they'll need a Joseph or they'll need somebody to come and unpack them for him. But he... he it, God is not unable to commune, communicate with anybody on the planet. He can write stuff on the wall in flame. Nobody misses that, right? But when he did that, Belshazzar still needed somebody to tell him, yeah, I see it. What does it mean? Do you see? So does that mean that some people have the gift of interpreting dreams? Uh-huh. No, it might be in a spiritual, this, uh, spiritual direction context. Somebody would share a dream with you and you would listen to it. Or maybe you have become familiar enough. Like I'm, I've heard a number of dreams over the years. So, I'm okay, I recognize, they, they, I recognize patterns and symbols and images. So, oh, okay, let's lean into this. Uh, and, and rarely again are dreams in isolation. They usually include a broader uh, way of, uh, of, of hearing. Does that make sense? No. Uh, they won't be in violation of the word of God. Okay. 
They won't be in violation. They should resonate. If I were to, if you were to talk to me about a dream or somebody with you, and I start to unpack, well, maybe talk this, that, or the other, and oh, oh, that makes sense. That's 98% of the time the response I get because it's resonating with something that God is already, still small voice, yeah. speaking inside. Okay, the other one is visions. Now, this is a little bit more uh, intense and intentional, uh, often linked to prophetic gifting. Uh, this is not necessarily a prophetic vision. Uh, and, and let me unpack that. Uh, there's a scripture that gets regularly misused in this context. The scripture is without a vision, the people perish. If you've heard that statement, often it's used as the pastor rolls out his latest vision. That's not what that's talking about. If, if we lose sight of God, people perish. That's what it means. If there's nobody left who can help us see and hear God, we perish. That's what it means. So it's not a specific, let's take that hill vision. It's a, it's a general God is still on the throne. He's still the Lord over all things vision. Do you feel the difference? Jen? What verse is that? I don't know. It's in Proverbs somewhere. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. I could find out in about 10 minutes when I got my phone out because I'm not fast on it, but Pete could find out in about 30 seconds. But anyway, yeah. Um, Okay, so visions are not insignificant. Often they become clearer, though, in hindsight. Uh, As we are training people in uh, prayer ministry, uh, often one of the ways that God speaks, especially at the beginning to people, is in pictures. So so, um, I'm getting an image of, I'm getting a picture of, I I see this or that or the other thing. And as you begin to pray into that, uh, for somebody, there's a resonance often with that. It's not usually specific to the prayer. I see a little boy playing in the backyard. And I think, I think as we pray into that, it is more um, uh, that you would, you would uh, uh, trust God enough to play. Does that make sense? Yes, and I think that's, that's good. That's the implication. So even even the language you just used about getting a picture, or whatever, I think even in our language of like a built-in humility, <laughs> a built-in like, you know, yeah, I'm a guesser in some ways. Or yeah, we all are. Yeah, you know, that's, that's really good. And even I would say, Pete, even in those things that we hear and see as with some clarity for ourselves, there's humility that's got to be attached to that. A vision is not a promise, right? It's, it's a vision. It's an image. It's an idea. It, it gives us a way to pray into something, but it's not God's signature on a check. Uh, you know, I have a lot of kids that, had a, that came into vocational ministry, 
as a result of a vision they had at youth camp at, at 12 or 15 or 18. Uh, you know, they had an all-night prayer time where they, they met with God in a, in a kind of a hyper-emotionally charged moment, which is huge. That was huge for me in my formation, right? And they had a vision of themselves standing up in fronting and speaking to a crowd of people. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. But the vision is, is about call to become a proclaimer, to become a speaker, perhaps. But you see, so we don't get disappointed if the specifics of the dream or the specifics of the vision don't come to fruition. That's not the point. Uh, now, w with exceptions, and we see those in Scripture, but for the most part, it's a way of, of, of trajectory and often then needs um, uh, clarity and is much clearer in hindsight. Looking back, you can draw a line to that moment and now this makes sense because of that. You know, that's why the humility is really critical. So you're talking about the example would be Darren. This is the kick in the butt that he had that made him start his church. Yeah. Church. Yeah. Yeah. Although there were a series of other things going on in there. And it was rooted in capacity to really hear and longing to, to hear that still small voice. And it was probably more for Alex than it was for, for Darren. And then I was also reminded of the, um, something that you've spoken into before about hearing words and maybe not always sharing them right away with the person and to know, have the maturity yep. to know when to just kind of wait on yep. before you share it. Huge. That's probably also the same thing. As same thing. Same thing. That's why I think Pete's language here, even when we pray for people, uh, you, you'll, you'll notice that there is a, a tentativeness in our praying. We're just, we're just trying as hard as we can to listen to what God's doing and, and pray into that. Nobody's an expert at this. You know? And, you, and, and sometimes you can feel people wanting what you're praying to be true. And, and no, 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 no. No, no, there should be a resonance that just welds up with identification. Ah, that's it, right? Often with emotion that attaches to that. Uh, not always, but sometimes, you know. Um, okay, so then the next one is the audible voice. Very rare. Uh, and, it, and, and for that reason, when it occurs, it's significant. Uh, it is very important that it be heard. So we hear the voice from the heavens that Jesus hears. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We have the voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember Peter, James, John. Jesus is instructing Moses and Elijah in the fulfillment of their lives as law and prophets. Peter says, um, this is really cool. Let's, let's just build three tents here, places of meeting here. Let's just anchor the new world here. And then there's a voice from heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. So he did. You know, uh, that doesn't happen too often. Uh, you get a vision. You know, Peter sees the sheet dropping down an axe, right? In the middle of the day. It's kind of a dream, kind of a vision, not quite sure what's going on. Happens three times. Arise and eat, a voice. 
he hears. And on the tablecloth are all kinds of animals that he is a good Jew has been trained not to eat because they are in violation. And this is where it really gets interesting of the, the kosher laws. But he hears a voice from heaven contradicting what he's been trained in scripture. Now, it's a vision. He doesn't have to do it. But immediately it becomes clearer looking back through the mirror, in the rearview mirror of Cornelius. Does that make sense? Peter wasn't being instructed to eat things. He was being instructed not to call unclean what God had called clean. Cornelius, a Gentile, is in. It doesn't matter that he's a Gentile. Don't you dare get in the way of what I'm doing here. And, and you, you see the, but oh, that now makes sense of what, what occurred then. Because Peter's still scratching his head. As the guys knock on the door, he doesn't. He know what? What the heck? Right? So anyway. Uh, you know what's funny about the, the transfiguration thing is like we think that if we heard an audible voice, we kind of brag about it, you know? And like yeah. when Peter retells the story in First Peter, I think. Yeah. Right? He leaves out the voice. Part. Completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And, that, and by the way, you see that same hesitance in almost all of the scripture writers. They rarely talk about their own personal encounters. Like Paul, for example, just vaguely alludes. I knew a man in Christ 12 or 14 years ago who was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that are not lawful for any man to write. Well, he's talking about himself. And he doesn't write those things because he hasn't been given permission to write them. Yep. Right? Yep. But also, you don't boast in the visions. Remember, Jesus, the disciples come back from their first missions trip. We've cast out demons and we've seen all kinds of things take place. And Jesus said, That's not a big deal. You want to know what a big deal is? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's a big deal. That's way harder than casting out demons, healing people. Like, wait, 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 what? Yeah. So this, this training in, in a way of being so that we have capacity to hear is really important. The next one that we want to talk about here is the human voice. And this is probably, for most of us, the, the, the most common way that we will hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, and it will show up in a number of ways. We hear and recognize God's voice in and through the words or some of the words of another person. Uh, a sermon, a spiritual director... Uh, soul care conversation, something. So that you'll be listening along in a sermon, you lean in, and all of a sudden something just pops out in, in the conversation or in the sermon or in worship or, or Faith or Pete will be leading us in worship and they'll say something and, and it'll just bang! Pay attention to that. You have just in all great likelihood heard the voice of the Lord. We ought not be surprised that he uses other human voices 
who are His image to speak His specific words to us in situations and circumstances. Now again, all of this needs to be filtered through the overall experiences and so on and so forth. But we ought not be surprised. In fact, I would be surprised if in preaching, if in worship, in spiritual direction, if I don't resonate, if I don't hear. In those situations, is the speaker aware? No. Now, sometimes, I shouldn't say that quite that quickly. Like, for, I'll just use me. When I'm preaching, I will, I will find myself saying something. First of all, I'll, I'll notice what I'm saying is like, whoa, that, whoa, I need to write that down. Because it's not something that I thought of to say. Right? It'll be a phrase, it'll be a turn of phrase, it'll be an idea, and it'll be, where did that come from? That is really good. That's way better than me. Right? So there's that aspect of it. Uh, um, and the, the, the other thing is, I will, I will occasionally, and, you, and I know Darren does this too, uh, and I know Pete does this when he leads worship, is that you'll have a sense that something's going on. And you'll say something, and there's a resonance in the room. This sounds spooky to talk about, but because I don't usually talk about this. But I have a sense, I have a witness, I have an impression that somebody needs to hear that. So we're going to circle back around and say that again. Do, do you know? And it, almost inevitably, somebody will come up afterwards. And, you know when you did that? Yeah, that was me. You and I have had those kinds of conversations, right? We sat at Starbucks, and we were having a conversation. And somewhere in the middle of that, you sat up. What had you heard? In that individual, one-with-one conversation, something anchored in your soul. That's common. I'm not aware. Now, sometimes I am, but not always. He doesn't trust me with that kind of stuff <laughs> completely. Sometimes I can sense, too, when, when all of a sudden the Spirit's taken over, mm-hmm. and the speaker announces you and Darren, I mean, all of a sudden you're not looking at your notes for the longest time. I'm going, whoa. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is coming from, from God. From a different this place, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and again, we don't. We, th- this isn't spooky stuff, and it's got to be resonating with the other kinds of ways that we hear, right? But and this isn't specific direction, but it one, can be one of the ways that we get specific direction. Yep. 
Yeah. And, and I think when we talk about this union life piece, that's where we're going. I, I, I want that to be the norm in, in our communication with, with one another. Not, 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 but notice what Paul says. When, when, let, first of all, let's lay aside, he uses, say, filthy language and coarse jesting and inappropriate conversation. Let's just set that aside. That's not, that's not, those are not the words that are characteristic of the life of Christ. So let words emerge that are filled with grace, right? That are, that are uplifting and that are edifying and that are encouraging. Let those kinds of words in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, right? Let those kinds of words bubble up from within you. That's what he's talking about, too. You know? Um, so this also includes uh, prophetic words uh, in, uh, that, that, that we may, may open ourselves uh, to hear from somebody whose, whose character we trust. Uh, and, and again, don't sell the farm. It's always about context. It's always about resonance. Uh, even if, even if, if you are certain and sure that somebody has a prophetic word for you, um, it does not mean that they have a prophetic word for you. It's in context. It, it's, it, it ought to resonate. If it comes completely out of the blue, that's probably where it came from. Right? Um, so this, uh, the, then we get to the, to the kind of the where we're going as mature disciples, and that is the human spirit or the still small voice. In other words, God will speak to us in union life with words that are heard as coming from within one's own being. You won't necessarily have an external void. And I've got a quote here from Dallas that I want to read because I thought it was really important. This becomes the primary subjective mode through which God addresses us. So the objective modes are things like the word and so on and so forth. But the primary subjective mode is this still small voice of all the ways in which the message comes from within the experience of the person addressed, dreams, visions, other awareness, it most commonly comes, and for those who are living in harmony with God in the form of their own thoughts and attendant feelings, this manner of coming is best suited to the redemptive purposes of God because, once again, it most engages the faculties of free, intelligent beings in the work of God as his co-laborers and friends. So what he's saying there at the end is that it makes sense that this still small voice, this inner witness, this sense of God's presence speaking almost from within a person, that this becomes the norm because this is more in tune with what it means for us to be the image of God. This is in tune for us to become the kinds of people that God can trust, where there's a, a, an instinctive almost learning, a knowing without knowing how you know that drives this. Does that make sense? Um, so this is his point. The more freely we engage in conversational relationship with God then, in the context of this stream of life, the more common and confident and aware we will be of the voice of God in in. Eternally. Are there other voices? One of the questions that was raised last week. Yes, there are other voices. 
but like a good sheep trained by his shepherd, it will be easy to recognize over time the voice of the good shepherd, right? Uh, and so, so for example, he, for clearly he will never instruct us to do things that are in opposition to that, those ten, 10 rules, 10 ways. He won't uh, uh, instruct us to do things in opposition to the way of love, for example. So this is the mark of increasing uh, maturity. Typically, then, the more spectacular the voice, the less mature the hearer. The still small voice, the quiet voice is a mark of maturity as we grow up. Okay? Any questions or comments uh, further on what we've done before we start to, to sink into the learning how? It is. It is. Yeah. Well, let's. <laughs> this is, uh, you you get like there's a certain twisted logic there, right? Yeah. So what we're after here, because I think that's not uncommon for many of us, right? Uh, what we're really after here is this ongoing conversational relationship in which we really have come to conclude that we want God's will to be done here on this lively piece of dirt, this earth, as it is in the heavens. That we really want more than, than, more than we want our own kingdom, our own sphere of influence to triumph. We want God's kingdom to triumph. That God is good. Right? So we become increasingly the kinds of people who don't need to take a picture of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't need to set up camp to make sure it's okay. We don't need to move it from the, into the center of our garden. We can take God's word for it. Don't eat that. We're good to go. That's the mark of maturity. I don't need to experiment with failure. Right? Now, sometimes, though, I think that's how we learn that we don't want to be doing that anymore. Right? And some of us... Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, good outcomes for you are not always the proof that it came from God. That's the hard part. And at first, the bad outcomes Correct. If it's a punishment, let me just say this: if something happens and it is a punishment, you will know specifically for what that is coming. More often than not, it will be consequential. God doesn't add anything, rarely ever adds anything to consequences as the outcome of our mistakes, right? And we will, we'll, it's, it, that's, how it, that's generally how it works. Punishment is not typically without uh, footnotes. So that said, yeah. Yep. Is that the Holy Spirit or the yep. small voice or yep. the combination? Or yep. All of, all of that. 
all of that. Because remember, the spirit is that energy that empowers the voice, right? That the spirit is the breath that, that moves over the vocal cords that enables the sound. So the word is the outcome of the work of the spirit. So, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's everything. It's all of that. Okay, so how do we learn to hear? Um, so we've already talked a little bit about this, but there are some, just some, some things that we want to uh, attend to. First of all, pay attention to repetition. So in dreams, uh, um, I, I want to know if it, three or four times if we've had the same cycle, uh, what, what might be going on there, how can we pray into that? Uh, I've found myself often woken in the middle of the night with a particular image two or three times or four times in a row. Um, usually I'm a pretty sound sleeper, except when now I've learned I'm being invited into intercession. And then somewhere typically between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm awake, I have an image, I have a face, I have somebody's picture in my head, and I need to lean into prayer for them. I'm being invited into something, right? Doesn't happen too often, but I've learned over the years that when it happens... I've got work to do, right? Um, and um, so, so pay attention to that repetition. If you hear something that comes in two or three different sources from two or three different ways and it resonates with what you're already sensing internally, attend to that. Repetition is, is he's not, he, it's not that he's angry that he has to say it three times, but as we learn into this, repetition is one of the ways of our, of our training, okay? Secondly, that I've got here is just notice the impressions. So, so when often people say, the Lord said, or, or God told me, what that's, this is what they're talking about. There's not an audible voice. There is an impression. There is a sense and it's, it would be much more helpful if we would use that vocabulary, I think. I'm having a sense that. I'm, th there's a general impression. Like often you'll hear me um, uh, sometimes before I start to speak. Uh, I've, in the worship service, something has bubbled up. An impression has shown up. And I, I, need, to, uh, I need to give space for that. Uh, what I believe is a word of knowledge. Um, and it's, it's not spooky. And we don't want to make it spooky. It's just normal, right? We see this in our prayer ministries all the time and on and on and on. Even the ways that we choose our sermons is influenced by this uh, over, over, over time. Um, and, and again, it's not because of anybody's super spirituality. This, is, this ought increasingly to become normal, right? So Paul says when he's writing to the church, let everybody bring a song or a hymn or a spiritual song in Colossians, right? Uh, everybody's, everybody minister according to the gift you've got. This is the body. We need each other. Some of them will be public. Some of them will be smaller and private. But we, to be a truly charismatic, small c charismatic, spirit-filled church, we ought not be surprised. But we ought, then all of those things need to be pastored well. Right? Because there's con con crazy can happen. So we want to attend to that. Um, so notice the impressions. Um, the other thing that I've noticed in walking with people is uh, the, what I call the voids. And it's the, 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 the 
easiest way for me to describe this, and uh, I've used this before, but it's like if, if somehow this room instantly became pitch black, um, most of you would be able, if you just could calm down, you could discern where the spaces are between the furniture. If you walk into a strange room and it's pitch black and you just hold still for a minute, you know where the void, what I call the voids are, right? Um, similarly, when it comes to hearing God's voice, I want to attend to the this is the way, walk this way voice. And that often comes in what I call the voids. You know, uh, it's like when, when uh, 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 they were trying to teach us to learn how to draw in school. I couldn't draw what was there. I'm way too literal in my, so I'm not an artist at all. But I got f a lot further by being asked to draw what was not there. Draw the space between the legs on the chair. And by the time I was done, by the time I'd gotten the spaces all drawn, guess what appeared? Do you see? So that's that's the kind of kind of kind of way that they is, they is, yeah. Um, this is often one of the ways that people will get clarity on next steps for indecisions. So it will be, because uh, often we can, we will talk about this a, a little bit uh, in a few minutes, but uh, when we're trying to make decisions, often we just stir ourselves up into a frenzy. Uh, we get, you know, to-do lists and then pros and cons list. And because we have a preference, we balance out the pros with the cons because we know how to stack the list, you know. And then we, the thing doesn't come out. And then we're looking at open doors and closed doors. And then we, oh, I don't know, did the Lord open the door? Did I open it? Is that, yeah, I mean, anybody else do this crazy? And so, and all of those things, by the way, can be helpful ways within the larger framework. So what this shows up is I often will have people, just take 15 or 20 minutes. If you got longer, do it. Go to the beach, go someplace quiet, and just sit still. Don't worry in God's presence and call it prayer. Just breathe. Become mindful. Become present. In the words of the ancient, uh, the desert fathers, they would say, let, let, this, let the pond become still. And then see what is reflected. Let the mud settle and see what emerges with clarity from, from, from the settling of the chaos. Do, do you know? And I would say in high percentages of the time, people who genuinely want to hear God's voice, when they do that, just sit still, become present, let the mud settle, let the, let the pond calm, they'll know what to do. Now, it's, sometimes the chaos comes from knowing what to do and not wanting to do it. Right? That's different. That's not because you didn't hear God's voice. That's because you didn't want to hear God's voice. Those are, that's a different, <laughs> different, different thing. Right? But in general, the people whose heart are genuinely set on knowing, honoring, pleasing, loving, walking with God, really desire his kingdom to come, his will to be done often just sitting still for a few minutes and calming down 
will create the spaces within which to walk. Okay? Uh, so, attending to that, bringing all of these things then uh, in, in conversation to God. So, we, we talk with Him. This is rarely ever a download, you know, where God just kind of plugs the USB drive into your brain and downloads your direction for the next five years. He rarely ever does that. Uh, and the reason, I think, is fairly, fairly straightforward. Uh, we would freak out. Right? He, he gives us clarity often for next, maybe the next two or three steps, and that's it. Like I was talking to a sophomore today, and he is just freaking out about what he's going to do when he graduates. In two years. Just relax. Just relax. If you show up every day between here and then, you'll know what to do when then arrives. Right? But he, he doesn't give us a map. It's not GPS. He gives us a good shepherd with a rod and a staff who is capable of getting us to a place of hospitality. That's what we're after. So the, all of these things, all of these hearings are in conversation with God. Uh, so hold lightly to the phraseology that God said or God told me. That, like Pete was saying, we want to use tentative language. This is what I'm sensing. This is what I think God said to me. Even if you have great clarity on it, there's a humility, I think, that is appropriate to say, let's just kind of calm down on this. I think I can say with confidence that I have without a doubt known specifically what God wanted me to do three times in my life. One was to go into vocational ministry in the first place when I was 16. The second was to go to the church in Glendora um, in April of 1977. And the next was to leave that church 22, 27 years later uh, in, in July of, of 2006. Right? That's it. Not to marry Judy. Not to go to Fuller. Not to, you see? Uh, and, and I have no hesitation in saying, I, it, so certain was I, for example, the call to the church in Glendora, Jude and I both walked into the lobby of the church, we looked at each other, and both of us in that same moment knew this is where our, I was going to be working, right? We hadn't talked to anybody, hadn't been interviewed, haven't, it was the easiest job interview I've ever had, because I already knew I had the job. They didn't know that. They thought they had to vote and debate and so on. I didn't even care what the salary was. I knew this is where I was supposed to live. A week later, they flew, flew me back down and I bought a house. Now, I still didn't have the job. I put an offer in on a house and, and in August of that year, we moved in. Now, that, that doesn't happen too often, right? And I don't know that it's supposed to be the norm. It certainly hasn't been for me. But there have been numerous times along the way where I can say, oh, okay, something, oh, okay. Now, that doesn't mean I've always paid attention to that. We're growing into this, right? 
we're all beginners when it comes to this kind of stuff. So proper uses of hearing is really important. God speaks to, with, and in us for his purposes. Because he is at work in, for good in all things, the more we want his will to be done, the more we can be trusted to hear in us. This is the nature of covenant. As we cooperate, as we align ourselves to uh, the voice of, of God, to, his, to the why, uh, uh, um, excuse me, I lost my place in my notes here. The more we cooperate, the more we align ourselves with covenant reality, the greater the likelihood that we can hear his voice. We move away from utilitarian, non-relational hearing, which is hearing often for our own good or for our own advantage or for our own authority or for positional reinforcement. Because typically, we're not hear actually hearing God in those moments. Um, so the, the why of hearing is important. He, he speaks that we may know him, that we may become intimate with him, and increasingly so that we can join him in his work. So in conversation with him, called prayer. Remember, prayer, as you mature, we're always going to be presenting our needs to God. He tells us to do that. He's not embarrassed when we do our need list. But he gets frustrated when us adult children do nothing but tell him what we need. His purposes in us and through us are frustrated when prayer doesn't move beyond the laundry list of needs to, God, what are you doing in this situation? And then being quiet long enough to listen, to discern, and then to pray into that, to bless what he's doing rather than asking him to bless what we're doing. So uh, we carry the burden with him. And this is a, a delicate thing that is difficult to talk about. But Paul uses this language often to fulfill or to fill up the sufferings of Christ. To complete, he says in Colossians, what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. He's not saying that on the cross Jesus didn't suffer enough. He's saying that because we are now the body of Christ... We are, like Christ, in all likelihood going to suffer in some way. So Paul says, I'm ready to fulfill, to carry what is remaining of the sufferings of Christ. Often this will be an intercession. Uh, so, for example, some of you have been really, really stirred, not just angry, but really stirred in spirit by what you are seeing happen in the Middle East with ISIS, right? And, and a lot of other people say that. That's a crime. That ought not to happen. But for you, it touches a place deep inside you that is, it is almost inescapable. It almost aches. In all likelihood, you are being invited to help carry the burden of that crisis. That will look like intercession. That will look like prayer. That will look like calling on the name of the Lord on behalf of men and women whose lives are, are, are being um, uh, taken from them. Do, do, you, do you see what I mean? Now, if you've never had that happen, you won't have any resonance with what I'm just talking about. And that's okay, right? 
But as we learn into this, as we lean into this, increasingly I want to become the kinds of people that God can say, here, I need you to carry this with me for a while. And sometimes it'll be a person, sometimes it'll be a church. Uh, we've talked to the garden often about the necessity in the, uh, of our prayer ministries, not just praying for people, but praying for the church. We're in a delicate place as the body of Christ in Long Beach. Right? We need, we need people to do warfare, and the primary way of that is in prayer. Do, do you see? I don't know. Okay. How do you people know this? Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. To pray for him. Good. I could use an hour, right? <laughs> and then in the world, like, why George Clooney? And then sure enough, a couple months later, she said, I have a, I have a feeling that his marriage is in trouble. And then it's all on the, on the headline, you know, the, the whatever headlines. But then at the same time, it doesn't look like his marriage is getting any better. Yeah. So like, Remember that God doesn't get always what he wants. Well, he could get what he wants. Would you be happy with a world like that? Because he wouldn't. What kind of a world is he creating in which we become partners and as his image? He's creating a world in which we have the option of disobedience. Which will mean he will never, and if there's any being in the universe who could overwhelm us, it would be him. Never does it. Not e- Go ahead. Yeah, so, so, so he is creating, he is working on restoring a, a universe, a, a, a community of people who, who he could overwhelm and require force to do what he wants, but he never does that because he wants us to do right. He wants us to do good because we have become good. And goodness can't be enforced. It has to, it has to be... Does that make sense? He, that, this, is, this is why we have the tree in the garden, for example. Why did he do that? Because if it wasn't there, then obedience wouldn't make any sense. So when we come to a situation like that, uh, I, and frankly, that's not, an, that's not the only time I've heard stories like that. I, I have... Uh, and and I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. That does not seem to me to be, that ought to be on high on God's priority list of things that he's concerned about, unless it's me. <laughs> then I want him to wake somebody up and pray for my marriage. <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? So because of the notorious nature of the persons for whom we pray, I have a friend who has been praying for Madonna for 25 years. And, and you know, he and I used to laugh at each other. I joke, what, what's wrong with you? 
and and he's 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 not interested in outcomes. He's interested in intercession. He knows that God loves her. Do you, do you see? So why not? And that training, by the way, often has application in other settings and other circumstances and other situations. So recognizing God's voice um, is, a, is rooted in relationship over time. It is trained by the hearing of his voice in the word, by memorizing and soaking in Jesus's words. The more tuned by regular exposure to God's word in these kinds of cases, the more readily we will identify the voices we may hear that are not God's. Often, especially for those who are, uh, have become a bit more mature in this, uh, they will, they will, it will be less a case of recognizing God's voice and more a case of recognizing the voices that are not God's because the normal voice they hear is God's voice. The normal whisper that bubbles up from the center is God's, right? And so when they hear something that, oh, that's off, right? They will, that's not God's voice, right? I'm walking with somebody um, at, at school who because of some things that happened to him when, when he was a kid has, has a training in believing lies to be true right? Lies of, of, of his own value and his worth and his competence and his giftedness and his value and so on and so forth. So he is regularly a suicide threat or has been for a number of years, right? Because he just thinks the world would be better off without him, but he has regularly been prevented. He can't go through with it. And so in the last two, year, two years or so, we've been walking through this conversation. And what I've asked him to do, don't resist the voices, just let them go. Don't argue with them, right? But I want you to start to flood your soul with the truth. So memorize Romans 8. Memorize, read over uh, Colossians 1 through 3, Ephesians 1 through 3. Let God tell you over and over and over and over and over again how much he loves you, right? And, and what we're finding now after a couple of three years of just soaking in this, of being cleansed with the water of the word, using Jesus' metaphor, using Jesus' language, is that the lies are, he can detect them right now. That's a lie. That's a lie. Now, it still shows up, right? It, it might be that it's going to be a little while before he silences. It might be that he never does, like the guy in Beautiful Mind, remember? He sees those three people. He knows they're not real. He acts as if they're not real, but he doesn't try to argue them out of existence. That's too much energy devoted to things that aren't real, right? So he's had to train his mind to what is true. Similarly then, when it comes to the voice of God, you can train your heart, your mind to resonate, to recognize. So that, by the way, sorry, as you listen to music, I know Pete does this because we've had this conversation. In a lyric, he's a genius, sorry, sorry, friend, but he's a genius with detecting uh, BS in lyrics, right? Now, where does that come from? Well, he's a gifted songwriter and musician, but his heart has been tuned so that when he hears something in a lyric that doesn't sound right for us, we don't have to know why. I don't have to dissect it. I don't have to figure out why. We just throw the song away. 
Do, do, do you see? When I'm watching something on TV, when I'm listening to somebody over the, over the TV or the uh, podcast, or, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't need to figure this out. You see? So what's the best way to, to dismiss those voices? That you don't dismiss them. You flood them out with, with the truth. Because uh, you, you, you can't argue. I mean, this is like mud wrestling with pigs. <laughs> right? You can't win. You get dirty and the pigs enjoy it. Right? So the voices, the lies that come in uh, have become so much a familiar, especially if they're in the, in, the, in the tone or tenor of somebody familiar, like a parent, right? Or, or a teacher. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything, right? All you can do is prove them wrong by living well, right? Sooner or later, you may be able to silence them, but it's probably going to be a work of the spirit more than it is by, by you. It's like, don't think about pink elephants. Good luck with that, right? So we've got to think about something else. Yeah. Okay, so now how does this boil down finally to wisdom and discernment and direction and decision making? It's not uncommon for people uh, seeking, uh, making decisions to seek soul care, spiritual direction, or pastoral advice. And of course, we want to regularly turn them to Jesus. The temptation for those of us who are beginners or amateurs in soul care or spiritual direction is to tell them what to do. This is what I think you should do. No, 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 that's not your job. You want to tune, help them tune increasingly their hearts to the still small voice of their heavenly Father who loves them, Right? You might help them. Well, what are you hearing? Like when I talk with people in this issue, it's like, well, how, what do you hear when you pray? What do you hear when you pray about this? Oh, I haven't really prayed about this. Okay, then. Before we can talk anymore, you need to pray about this. Not worry in God's presence. Invite Jesus into it. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you bring some clarity to this for me? Right? Because the goal is not that they think I'm a really wise person because I told them what to do. The goal is that they fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus and are drawn to him. That's it. So you want to take advantage of that uh, to really, if, if, especially because uh, increasingly you'll find uh, as you get better at this in soul care that you'll be able, like if you read Soul Talk, I, I, it was a book I recommended uh, in the first soul care class. What we're after here is to figure out what's going on underneath and to discern into that. What's the real battle here? You're asking for advice on grad school. That's really cool. What's really happening? You know, what's going on? And, and that's, that's kind of an un, trying to unpack some of that. Um, yeah. Be 
don't do that and don't do this. You, you want to be more like, is Jesus really calling me to do those Yes. Things? Is that the response? Yeah. That's really, really what it is. Okay. So it's, again, keeping, handing them back, right? Because right. some people don't want to talk to Jesus. They want to talk to you. Why not? Well, I guess I could. I know, so I was going to ask. Yeah, them, like, no. Yeah, so, so preface it. You know, you and I have been talking about this for a long time. Can I ask, do, this is going to sound really freaky, yeah, but, but when you ask, I'll tell you what I do when I'm confused. I, I pray about it. I ask Jesus into it. Just say that. So can, I'll be happy to do that with you if you'd like. Because I know he loves you at least as much as he loves me. <laughs> right? But I don't believe in him. That's okay. He believes in you. Yeah, you need to get better at that then. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, and even in that, right, it's you have to discern what Jesus is saying to you in that moment. So if you invite him into her advising or him asking advice of you, then you can start to speak out what Jesus is speaking in. Right. Invite him into it. He'll make some ways for open conversations that you can't even believe happened. You'll walk away saying, what happened there? Right. Yeah. 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 And 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 st- and and think about and invite Jesus to maybe help you, uh, and because I, th- I think you're probably already doing this. Can, no, I won't pray for you, but let's pray together. I'll pray with you. Let's let me teach you how to pray about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know what might be helpful then is to think through um, a vocabulary that might be less threatening. Like pray is religious language now, yeah. right? So is there something, some other way we could, we could talk about this? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that could maybe be helpful, too. Yeah. So in the framework of this, um, 
uh, strategies for decisions, uh, assuming the environment, assuming this conversational relationship, regular soaking of the word, so all of the things that we've been building in here in the last two and a half weeks, um, we ask for guidance. James, James, Jesus asked for help, give, ask for specific directions. And when we do that, we be quiet down. God doesn't give advice. So if you have intention of taking what God says and factoring it into what somebody else says to figure it out, that probably is not going to be too useful. So we listen with a lean into obedience. If I know what he wants me to do, scary as it might be, I'm going to do it, right? And by the way, he's a very good teacher, so he probably won't threaten you the first time out. Lean in. But then we ask, sometimes we don't hear with clarity what we ought to do. And it's not because we're not hearing God's voice, generally. It's because in this particular matter, that may not be what he wants us, he doesn't want us to get guidance or direction from him. He wants us, for example, to, act, to make up our own minds on some things. So we ask for wisdom. We ask for discernment. We listen. We're ready to hear. What, is, what do you let everybody, James says, if you're confused, if you're waffling, ask for wisdom. He'll, he's not going to shame you for asking for wisdom, right? Uh, then we can maybe seek godly counsel. Now, this is, this is tricky because we're not really good at this one. We usually hunt around for somebody who, who will tell us what we want to hear. When I say godly counsel, I mean objective, non-invested, somebody who doesn't care about the outcome. Right? So, so even if your parents, for example, have been godly people, there are some things about which they cannot give you godly advice because they too care too much about the outcome. That doesn't mean that their advice is not good. It's just that if you're really looking for an objective, non-invested outcome, they're probably not going to be all that helpful. Um, so, and then we create space to discern. That's what I was talking about in response to Pete's question. Uh, we decide then. And when we decide, when we move forward, we do James's thing, which is if it be the Lord's will. So we're, we're, we hold open-handedly, right, to what we, we are invited into. Um, this marks submission, however, not fatalism. We're not just throwing a decision against the wall to see if it sticks. We're, we're, we have really prayed into it. We've let the mud settle. We've worked into the clarity, and then we move forward in that, uh, in that frame. Um, any uh, 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 questions on this before we finish up? So the f psalm I love to think through. Oh, yeah, sorry. I have a question, but it's kind of backtracking. A That's okay. It was about punishment. Yeah. Do you have an example from your own mind of, you said punishment is rarely without footnotes. Like, yeah. For God. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm a person who sits so much in shame. Yes. Yeah. What would be the difference between discerning whether it's you shaming yourself? Good. Good. Yeah. Um, that's that's a that's a little bit of a challenge, especially like you say, if if shame has been the primary vocabulary, because it will feel most 
And uh, especially if shame has been used as a primary way of controlling conforming behavior, uh, often kids who are trained in, in guilt and shame are, are unable to hear conviction until they've really been soaked in the love of God long enough to get that. Um, however, um, shame um, uh, is not anchored in a, a, appropriate guilt. So what am I ashamed of? Did, did I do something wrong? And was the wrong moral, morally wrong? Not did I offend somebody, not did I hurt their feelings, or not did I fail to live up a responsibility or whatever, but did I murder somebody, right? That's appropriate guilt. I lied or, or whatever. I want to deal with that as quickly as I possibly can. Shame is the smokescreen for neurotic guilt, right? So neurotic guilt is guilt that's unanchored to reality. I didn't do anything wrong, but I still feel guilty, right? Um, and so I want to discern into that. So then, then okay, so the, instead of just giving into the shame, I'm going to lean into it. All right, I feel ashamed. Why? What did I do? Where was, the, where, was, where was the line crossed? Where was the sin that I committed? And if I can't identify one, that's what I mean, it usually comes with clarity and precision. Then, okay, I've got to move past this because this is not from God. This is not anchored in reality. This is neurotic. Uh, the difficulty with neurotic guilt and shame is there's not a whole lot you can do about them because they're not anchored in reality. It's like jello to the wall, right? So the only way you can move forward on it is, is that flooding thing that we've talked about, that soaking in the word. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's Psalm 32. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I want you to listen to the way that David conceptualizes some of the things that we've been talking about as he heads towards the kind of the climax, which is in verse 8. He said, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. That's authentic guilt, right? My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. When I acknowledged my sin to you, when I didn't hide my iniquity from you, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And then this. Here's God speaking in response to the heart shaped by confession. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose trappings therefore require bit and bridle to hold them in check. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. 
So be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So did you see where, where we were going, right? So the first section of the psalm deals with that alignment piece that we were talking about. But notice what happens in verse 8. Do you see the three layers there? I will teach you and instruct you in the way you should go, right? But then I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to counsel you with my eye lovingly upon you. I'll watch you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll counsel you, but I'm not going to direct you. Do you, you feel the difference? But then he says, don't be like the horse and the mule which require bit and bridle because they have no understanding. That's where he wants us to go. That's what union life looks like. That is a life shaped by understanding. That if you, if you can imagine uh, a well-trained horse, if any of you have done any riding, you know that a well-trained horse, the bit and bridle is mostly for the rider. It's not for the horse. Because a well-trained horse can intuit before the rider even thinks it which direction the rider wants to go. Right? All you need to do is lean and the horse turns. And sometimes you don't even need to lean. The horse is already turning because he knows that's where you want to go. I have a friend who does therapy uh, using her horses with kids who are autistic and who are damaged sexually and damaged uh, in, in, and, and the horses uh, are, are genius at reading these kids and often intuit health into them as the part of the therapy, part of the process. It's fascinating. So this is, I think, the image that he's using here. Does that make sense? Okay, any final questions? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.